Kobe Bryant. And welcome back to the Counted Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Ahan, at Ahan Rungta on Twitter. And as usual, Ahan, host of Counted Podcast on Twitch. All those links in the description below today. We are back with the Fantasy Football Factory 2021 Week 9 Recap Edition. And I know the episode numbers and the week numbers are off now because I missed a week and whatnot. We're recapping Week 9, and you know Mick was just talking about how it's uh, a little less uh, drama than usual, but we got some simple situations. We got to figure them out, though. We got to do our job, figure out these situations, and uh, yeah, help you win your league, help you win your matchup. For those of you who aren't in chat right now, feel free to drop questions. We do this every week, usually on a Tuesday, so if you uh, don't want to miss the Q&A sessions, come over to stream and ask your questions. But for now, Mick. How's it going? It's going good. I'm glad to be here. You know, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad to finally get with you and uh, recap some NFL action. And since you are a Jets fan, you know, I, I don't get the opportunity to, you know, talk to one of you uh, that often. So we, we got we got to ask, how are you feeling? You know, you, you got the win against the Bengals, which messed with me a lot. Not just, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> not just fantasy-wise, but, you know, I, I tied with uh, the league leader in Pick'em uh, Week 8. Uh, and lost on tie break. So that game, uh, you know, left a lot to be uh, be desired from my standpoint. But how are, you, how are you feeling about the Jets? You know, it's business as usual. We're in last place again. And, you know, our number one pick, we still have no idea how he's going to perform because he's been out the last two weeks. And when he has been on the field, it hasn't been great. So, you know, we have guys off the street coming in and throwing for 300 and 400 yards. And, you know, our franchise quarterback can't do anything. So, you know, like I said, business as usual. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm a big Zach Wilson guy, so I hope I hope he comes back soon. I, I hope am he, as well. He, he prospers, and I hope that once once uh, you know he's comfortable in the league, uh, he's gone from the Jets so that he can prosper somewhere out of my <laughs> <laughs> so he can so- prosper somewhere else. But I mean, you guys got Mac Jones; you're in good shape. But but for now, we're, we're you know we're going to talk some fancy football, and you know the order. Uh, you know, Mick and I decided the order of this, the flow of this ahead of time. But I'm making a, I'm making a call because on my way back home today, I saw some news. So Odell Beckham Jr. cleared waivers, um, and he is now free agent. And the sources from, you know, there's a blue check mark, so we got to acknowledge it, right? The sources say that he is most likely putting the Green Bay Packers on his priority, and he's prioritizing them um, in his selection of where to go to free agency. So. We're going to kick off the show with that. So Odell Beckham Jr., the thought on the match with the Green Bay Packers, obviously he'd be playing alongside Devontae Adams. And besides him, not a lot of talent. Robert Tunyon out. uh, So, you know, a pass-catching weapon out there. Um, The other tight ends, you know, not as involved. Pass-catching. You also have Alan Lazard, who's been getting some red zone targets. I talked about him possibly scoring a touchdown this week. And that was when I thought Aaron Rodgers was playing. But he still found a way to get to the end zone. Um, Alan Lazard did. Marquez Valdez Scantling is a thing. I actually roster him on one of my teams, so I'm going to claim he exists. So the thought on uh, the possible fit with the Packers, his fantasy value, if he does um, get with uh, get on the Packers, and if it's not the Packers, where are the good slash bad fits? Mick, why don't you start? I think the Packers would be the best bet for OBJ uh, from a fantasy standpoint because I think that is, as you alluded to, where the biggest target share would be. Obviously, Devontae Adams is there, but beyond that, like you mentioned, 
it's it's pretty scarce. I mean, Lazard and MVS are in the mix, but neither one of them, you know, is a as a threat as far as you know drawing two defenders that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, if he were to go somewhere else, he would be, you know, very probably third or fourth on the totem pole. I know you mentioned, you know, uh, earlier when we were chatting, you mentioned Seattle as a possibility. If that was the case, he would be well behind DK and Lockett for targets there. So I think Green Bay would be the best bet for him from a fantasy standpoint. If that would be if that would be the case, I still don't know if I would put him in the, you know, wide receiver two range. I still think he's more of a wide receiver three slash flex. Uh, and like I said, in Green Bay, that's probably the best case scenario. If he were to go somewhere else, he's probably more of a boomer bust, you know, wide receiver four for me in 12 team leagues, I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm more or less uh, agree with that. And, you know, we're she- screen sharing something if you're watching on Twitch. Uh, so a few days ago, I posted this. The uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was acquired by the Browns in 2019. Since uh, that acquisition, there have been 62 NFL receivers with at least 200 targets. So just a qualifier stat there. Uh, in that span, the percentage of targets uh, that were catchable from, you know, usually Baker Mayfield. Um, there was a pass from Jarvis Landry. Of course, I used that video <laughs> my tweet. But 62% of Beckham's targets overall were labeled catchable. Out of those 62 receivers that qualified for the stat, that ranked last, number 62. So it, it can only get get better from here uh, in terms of the quarterback connection. I'm not saying there aren't worse quarterbacks out there, but the quarterback connection, it can really only get better um, from a play standpoint. So I warned you guys that you should not panic drop. People would ask me, should I drop Odell and pick up some random handcuff? Depends on your situation, but I would keep Odell. And this is why if he lands on a team like the Packers, and I completely agree with you there, that he would be the second option there among the primary pass catchers, you know, unless you want to count Aaron Jones as involved or whatnot. But he would be the second option there, and it would be one of the best-case scenarios. I will say about the Seahawks, though, uh, I've been, you know, thinking a lot about the possibility of the Seahawks because the Seahawks tend to do this kind of uh, thing. And I'm a big DK Metcalf guy, so people have been asking me, so what happens to DK Metcalf? What happens to Tyler Lockett if he goes to the Seahawks? I will say I don't think DK Metcalf's value gets hurt that much. Um, I do think Tyler Lockett's um, goes down a little. Um, I wouldn't say they're necessarily the same kind of player, but they do a lot of similar things. Uh, deep passes, uh, Tyler Lockett doesn't get as many red zone targets um, nearly as DK Metcalf does. In fact, Freddie Swain through um, a – a multi-week span recently has gotten more red zone targets than Tyler Lockett. Uh, so I do think if you get some of those big pass plays and Odell is playing like, you know, I think he can still play. I do believe Tyler Lockett's value goes down a little. So I would be worried if he goes to the Seahawks for Tyler Lockett owners, but only a little bit. Uh, another possibility I have to bring up the Patriots. We need a deep pass catcher. That's reliable. Um, I've been on Josh McDaniels' case a lot, Patriots offensive coordinator, uh, for being conservative, right? And uh, you have to consider all the factors. One of the reasons he might be conservative is because the deep threats, Nelson Aguilar, somewhat Kendrick Bourne, they haven't been consistently good. They've had PFF grades, you know, in the C uh, region most weeks. Um, So they haven't been consistent, and Odell can clearly be better than them. Uh, So that's another destination for him. And as far as the Patriots go, you know, you're showing the clip of uh, Jarvis Landry throwing the pass to Odell Beckham. You're going to have Jacoby Myers throw a touchdown to him. <laughs> he can't catch any. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, he, he uh, Odell would have everything going for him. You know, no Rex Burkhead anymore, but he does have uh, <laughs> uh, Jacoby Myers there for him. 
Uh, and of course, the name that keeps getting brought up is the Raiders. I feel like they're out of the question now, um, just based on the recent news. And also, um, you know, on that topic, the Raiders did sign Deshaun Jackson. I think this is maybe a little more significant than some people give credit for. Uh, I posted this on Twitter as well, you know, a few days ago. But uh, Derek Carr came into this week as uh, the number five overall quarterback in uh, average depth of target. If you watch the games, that's not surprising. He flings it deep. Whether or not they're good throws, he, he throws it there. And, uh, you know, he had some receivers catching them, one of them not on the team anymore. Um, that that receiver who's not on the team anymore, he was number one in average depth of target on that team, and that guy is gone. Uh, Brian Edwards – or Zay Jones at number two and Brian Edwards at number three. Deshaun Jackson, I feel like – there, there is a world where Deshaun Jackson is better than both of them, and we might be living in it. Um, Deshaun Jackson, as recently as a few weeks ago, caught a 75-yard touchdown pass uh, from Matthew Stafford. It's there, and the reason he left is he wanted a role. So if he's signing, I feel like in deep leagues, um, he needs a he needs a roster. So I'll just put that name out there. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by that as well, because like you said, he wanted to go somewhere where he would have a role. And on the surface, he would not think he would have a much bigger role on the Raiders than he did on the Rams. But, you know, I was big on Brian Edwards last week, and that obviously did not pay off. And there's just something the connection is just not fully there with he and Zay Jones and Carr. So it's definitely possible. Deshaun Jackson still has something left in the tank. It's definitely possible he can carve out a role in that offense as a deep threat. For sure. And so now just going back to uh, what happened week nine, you know, this is where we usually start the show. So since we are doing things a little out of order, we'll go backwards. Monday Night Football, we're recording this the day after. Uh, and the big news out of Monday Night Football, first off, Justin Fields over the last two weeks has actually not looked terrible. Um, he made some big-time throws to come back in that game. So that's good for him, despite being in a Matt, Nag uh, Matt Nagy offense, uh, making, some, making some nice throws. You know, he missed Allen Robinson a couple times wide open. He said, my bad, and, and I'm sitting there being like, no, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> it is your bad. He has progress to make, as most of the rookies do, but it was good to see um, you know, him him go up a little bit, and if you're in you know, super flex leagues, Justin Fields is no longer an automatic. You still can't roster him, so there, there are a few matchups coming up. Um, if you are desperately looking for a QB2, uh, Justin Fields is perfectly reasonable, especially with that rushing upside. But what we want to talk about is a backfield. So David Montgomery comes back. Um, what happens with Khalil Herbert? Obviously, Damian Williams is no longer a thing. So, Mick, what did you see from that uh, Bears backfield? And, uh, you know, is Montgomery an everyday start? Is Khalil Herbert worth rostering, et cetera? I, I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you, because I figured going into the week that with the Bears having a bye in Week 10, they'd give Montgomery the extra week of rest. So when I heard that he was going to make the – you know, make the roster, the active roster for week nine, I still kind of was hesitant and figured, okay, maybe it'd be, you know, a 50-50 split. Maybe, you know, Herbert would still be involved. But it was basically, you know, back to pre-injury Montgomery. Um, you know, he had 53 – he was on the field for 53 snaps. Herbert was only on the field for 10. Uh, he out uh, – I call him opportunities, you know, targets plus carries. He had 15. Herbert only had four. So I think if you have Montgomery, you're you're thrilled with the usage, and he's basically back to being, I'd say, you know, a high-end RB2 type who can, you know, get in that RB1 range in certain matchups. As far as Herbert, I think we saw what he can do if given the opportunity, and I think he's, he's a little bit underrated. People don't know him very well. You know, he's kind of a no-name 
Um, but he showed a lot in college as well as his first couple of starts in the NFL. So I would still roster him if you have him on your roster. Um, again, it's, it's kind of thing you're going to have to temper expectations. And he's not really going to be viable unless Montgomery, um, you know, occurs if there's a setback as far as his health status goes. But I still think he's worth rostering in case that situation plays itself out. Because as you mentioned, Damian Williams is not a thing. And anybody who has Damian Williams on their roster can feel free to drop him. But I would keep Herbert if possible. To attest to the fact that uh, you were surprised with David Montgomery not just coming back, but being heavily involved. Um, in our Fantrax staff league, uh, I own uh, David Montgomery. Uh, he was on the IR. Um, I only noticed that he was coming back like pretty late, much later than I usually notice these things. Uh, Sunday afternoon, so after the 1 p.m. games, um, and I had my running backs, you know, both of them uh, going already. I still could have shifted, uh, you know, activated Damon Montgomery and put him on, uh, you know, put him at a flex spot if I trusted him. Um, but I just didn't. I was like, why? Why would I? Why would I not just hold one more week? Um, yep. You know, if something happens, because I'm not going to start David Montgomery this week. Uh, but he gets most of the opportunities, which uh, was kind of crazy to me. But now I'm definitely taking him off IR uh, after the bye. Um, so I, I can attest to the fact that I was a little bit surprised. <laughs> Speaking of backfields, um, another man returned, uh, a guy named Christian McCaffrey. Some of you may have heard of him during your fantasy football drafts. Uh, so in week nine, Christian McCaffrey comes back and immediately it's a PPR RB 15, you know, not, not top five necessarily, but coming back from injury an encouraging step that he's in top 15 PPR running back, uh, uh, running back in fantasy football in the week, 49% of the snaps, you know, that is down from, you know, the first few weeks where he got around 80% both weeks, but he got 49% of the snaps, but he was effective. 14 rushes for 52 yards, which is decent, 3.71 yards per carry. Uh, four receptions on five targets for 54 yards, so he did mix in a little receiving work. And then how did the other running backs' roles change? Well, Chuba Hubbard, who was backing him up earlier, he only got 17% of the snaps, three carries for three yards, disgusting. One uh, reception on two targets, but it was a 33-yarder, but essentially irrelevant. Uh, so now that Christian McCaffrey is back, Chuba Hubbard takes a back seat. And then Amir Abdullah gets the relief work. 37% of the snaps, which, uh, and his season high, uh, you know, was week eight versus Atlanta. So that was really the first time we saw Amir Abdullah really in action right after they signed him. Um, and then four for five um, receiving for 30 yards. So he did mix in a little bit of a role. So, Nick, is this more of like a one-week situation? Like they're they're trying to ease Christian McCaffrey back, especially with the game script with them down and looking terrible. Um, or is this really a situation where Amir Abdullah is suddenly going to take away some relevance? Well, I hope not, because in the uh, fan tracks league you we alluded to, I have Chuba Hubbard, so I'm still hoping he'll be relevant uh, in some respect. Uh, obviously, McCaffrey is going to be fine. He's going to be a top five guy going forward. He's going to get, you know, his 25 touches a week going forward. I think, you know, the last, they wanted to ease him in a little bit last, last week. So I think that was what that was. I do think the Abdullah thing was a bit of an anomaly. Um, again, as you mentioned with this game script and the game getting out of hand. But I do think it's something to keep an eye on. Um, I would be a little bit worried about Hubbard. You know, we already know that he's going to lose his... 10, 15 touches that he was getting with McCaffrey injured to begin with. So now you add Abdullah into the mix, and it's another little wrinkle that he's going to have to deal with. So I think going forward, it's sort of the same situation as Herbert in the sense that 
you know, if you can afford the roster spot for basically a backup running back who could venture into a larger role if there's an injury, then great. But with everything going on right now, he's not going to be, I would even say, I don't even think he's a flex, you know, going forward for the next few weeks, at least as long as McCaffrey is in good health. Upcoming matchups for the Panthers, you know, some really uh, tough defenses uh, to run on Arizona, um, among the better defenses um, against the rush this season, uh, Washington, Miami, uh, then you do have a bye. Then you get to face Atlanta, which is a little better. In fact, on sleeper right now, he's projected for 30 or Christian McCaffrey is projected for 31 uh, PPR points. I always find these sleeper projections, uh, you know, a little a little funny. I mentioned them on the uh, right. episodes. Uh, then he faces Buffalo and Tampa Bay in, in big boy hours, right? Weeks 15 and 16 playoffs uh, for most of you. Uh, Buffalo and Tampa Bay and then week 17, New Orleans. None of them easy to run on. Uh, so an interesting uh, um, an interesting situation coming up uh, for the Panthers. But it is Christian McCaffrey if He's getting at least 70% of the snaps. He's obviously going to be up there in the rankings because of the receiving work. Right, exactly. That's what I was going to say is that even though these teams are difficult to run on, he's going to get receptions, especially given their quarterback situation. I mean, whether it's Darnold or P.J. Walker, they're going to check down him at least five, six times a game. So he'll get the volume at least in the receiving game. Or Matt Barkley, am I right? They just signed uh, – the Panthers just signed Matt Barkley. Big news. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> More backfield scenarios, and this is one we talked about a lot with, uh, and so I talked about this with Al, and we had a uh, a little bit um, varying perspectives last week. So talked about Adrian Peterson, right? So he, he signs with the Tennessee Titans. You know, everybody's ex- excited. Adrian Peterson is back, and, and uh, you know, he's being uh, backed up by 25-year-old Jeremy McNichols. Okay, <laughs> nice. But what does this mean for fantasy? Well, I, we said last week we agreed that nobody's going to know right away. Um, do we know a little bit more? Well, let's see. So Adrian Peterson, I thought he would be immediately involved, kind of right there. He only got 33% of the snaps. He did get 10 rushes. He was not efficient at all. Uh, 10 rushes for 21 yards, maybe a product of the Rams being good against the rush. Um, he did chip in a touchdown, which made him relevant. As my RB3, I started him as a, as a flex in our league. I was okay with that. Um, one touchdown, one reception on one target for five yards, not really much of a big deal there. What Al brought up last time was Jeremy McNichols' ability to be involved in the pass-catching game. So Derrick Henry was out uh, against the Jets, um, and A.J. Brown was out, and Julio Jones was out. Jeremy McNichols was a monster. Obviously, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones not out this game, but he can still chip in some receiving work. So Jeremy McNichols, he got 45% of the snaps, um, up from Adrian Peterson's 33%. Seven rushes for 24 yards, three receptions on three targets for 11 yards. Like you said, opportunities. That is 11 opportunities for Adrian Peterson, 10 opportunities for Jeremy McNichols. So immediately, not exactly what I was expecting because I thought Adrian Peterson was just going to come in and be the guy. Um, And they weren't going to trust Jeremy McNichols as, you know, the 25-year-old to – basically split the work kind of even, but he did. Um, and, you know, Deontay Foreman, I have to mention him as well, 21% of the snaps, five rushes for 29 yards. Um, that's probably the only time I will mention Deontay Foreman ever again this season. <laughs> he does exist, but the real question is Adrian Peterson or Jeremy McNichols, who is the guy to roster here? And, again, was this an anomaly because of the game script? Because the Titans were playing from big time ahead most of this game, not what we expected uh, against the Rams. And I feel like they're not going to be playing uh, ahead against 
most of their opponents going forward. It was, feels like an anomaly game script. So this game tilted me greatly because uh, coming into the week, I had McNichols as a low-end RB2, and I had Peterson outside the top 40. So I was completely on a different track than you are. I thought the Titans were going to be playing from behind. McNichols is going to get, you know, five, six catches out of the backfield. Peterson would be, you know, kind of pushed off to the wayside. And it didn't work out that way. And even at the end, I'm not sure if you saw the Peterson touchdown, but they had a goal-to-goal situation. They gave McNichols the first two carries. He got down to the one, and then they brought in Peterson on third down. He got the touchdown, so he had the better fantasy day, which, like I said, you know, wasn't uh, didn't work out for me. But I think going forward, you know, based on what I saw last week, I think I'm actually more on McNichols than I was last week because, as you mentioned, this was – you know, the prototypical Adrian Peterson game script. They were winning the entire time. Um, you know, now, granted, Peterson has to get acclimated to the offense, so I understand, you know, not wanting to give him 20 carries when he's, you know, sitting on a couch last week. But I think I would be encouraged if I had McNichols just because he did get 10 opportunities, as you mentioned. And again, the game was in a very favorable game script. And I don't see that happening. I'm kind of going to agreement with you on there. I don't see that happening every week. So, you know, maybe he gets that bumped up to 15, you know, in a normal week. And, you know, that makes him, I'd say, at least flex viable, if not a low, low RB2. And, again, if he had scored the touchdown and not Peterson, then all of a sudden he would have ended up with, you know, 12 PPR points or whatever he would have been. And that would have, you know, got him into the, the RB2 range. So I think I'm more pleased with, McNichols going forward than Peterson. I'm not saying not to roster Peterson, but I think in certain matchups, it's just going to be tough to put him in that top 24 or even top you know 28 range if you're looking at a flex. And on the screen, we're showing uh, one of the plays you were talking about. I I was kind of watching. I was doing something else, but I was kind of watching the game, um, especially in the red zone to see okay w- what's going to happen here. Is Adrian Peterson on the field? Is Jeremy McNichols on the field in the red zone? Uh, and it, immediately they start feeding Jeremy McNichols, and I was like, "Oh, damn! He might be more relevant <laughs> than he might be more relevant than I gave him credit for last week." Uh, and I, I would agree. I think I'm, I was not at, uh, I was not on him as much. I placed all my fab um, on Adrian, or not all my fab, but all my Tennessee Titans on reserve <laughs> fab. Don't put a hundred percent of your fab on. Titans no. Rex kids. No. <laughs> you know, I, I put I put a lot of fab on Adrian Peterson, you know, relatively, because, you know, I, th- I thought he would be the guy day one. Um, and I, you know, a lot of people own Jeremy McNichols already, but in one league he um, he was not owned. I put much less on him. Um, and so that goes to show that I was, you know, more invested in Adrian Peterson. Jeremy McNichols, you know, this is a little clip of him, you know, not getting the job done. Um on goal to go, and that happened twice. So Jeremy McNichols just a few yards away, a couple yards away from being way more fantasy relevant than people realize, way more fantasy relevant than Adrian Peterson because um, this touchdown converted to an Adrian Peterson touchdown. The upcoming schedule for Tennessee is New Orleans, Houston, and New England, and then a bye. We'll, we'll talk about the New England uh, rush defense in a bit. Uh, and then Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Miami – to me, this is just a situation. I I personally am waiting another week to draw any kind of read on. This. I don't know who to buy low on. I don't know if I want to sell high on anybody. If there's anybody to sell high on, 
on the Titans right now. AJ Brown as well. Again, game script wise, but a lot of people were predicting huge a huge day for AJ Brown. A lot of people were saying that it the focus would be more on AJ Brown, so it would be less of a big day for him. And I just don't know if I can read this offense based off that one primetime game. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit tricky. I mean, I think in that sort of case where you're kind of you know flip flopping between the two, I would go with game script as the tiebreaker. So, for example, you mentioned they play New Orleans this week. You know, New Orleans has a good defense. I'd probably be more inclined to play McNichols if I were to choose. But then, as you mentioned, the week after, it's a home game for Houston, and that to me seems like an Adrian Peterson game. So I think it's going to be a lot of you know matchup dependent situations with those two guys. And if you are one of those people who roster, you know, both uh, running backs on the same team, good for you. You can uh, you can pick and choose, uh, and uh, maybe you can be like me and pick the wrong one every week. Um, <laughs> you and me both, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and you know that that game tilted me a little bit too, but for completely different reason. The one league I lost this week, um, I lost by uh, I believe it was four points. Cooper Cup was my last player. He didn't have anybody left. I had Cooper Cup left and Rams defense. Um, and I needed to combine 30 for, from them. And, you know, the Rams were driving at the end, and I was down four. And the Rams had a goal to go, and they did not target Cooper Cup once with a goal to go. He no. scores a touchdown, I win. He did not score a touchdown, and I lost. So that game got me toted. Uh, you know, Cooper Cup still put up, like, 15 fantasy points and half PPR, which is, like, fine, but, like, if – you know, if I was winning, right. it would be fine. It's not <laughs> that context. Yeah. More on backfields. And this is one that, you know, a lot of uh, our listeners are very familiar with because y'all come from the Mooney gang where Kill Kenny, shout out Kill Kenny, uh, won, let's say, quite a bit from Jordan Howard, two plus touchdowns a couple of weeks ago. So we've been talking about the Eagles uh, backfield each episode the last few weeks. You know, I said a couple weeks ago against the Lions. Boston Scott's the guy, not Kenneth Gainwell. I said that, and I took my victory laps after the Lions game. Um, I completely ignored Jordan Howard. I was like, yeah, yeah, he was just in, you know, in a blowout. Like, who cares about Jordan Howard except people who bet two plus touchdowns on him? Um, <laughs> but the Jordan Howard experience, as Mick, you were calling it, um, is noteworthy. So, what's going on in Philadelphia? Well, I can't tell you for sure what's going on because I was right with you. I think I've picked, you know, four different Eagles backs as the guy to have to start the last four weeks. So I can't say for sure what's going on, but I do think it's noteworthy that Jordan Howard has had 29 carries the last two weeks. That is more than any Eagles back has had in any two-game stretch this year. That includes Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell. So they're giving Jordan Howard work, I think, you know, it's the kind of thing, I don't know if the Eagles have a game plan week to week. I mean, we've seen, you know, everybody basically complain about Sanders not getting enough usage, but he was healthy. And now they're complaining that Jordan Howard is getting too much usage. So, you know, welcome to the Nick Sirianni experience, I guess, more than the Jordan Howard experience. Um, but, you know, I do think it's it's interesting. Listen, I'm not saying that Jordan Howard is good by any chance, but he's getting the work. And, you know, it's not as if this is, you know, we're, we're fine with rostering Adrian Peterson, who's 36 years old. Jordan Howard just turned 27. I mean, he's nine months older than Dalvin Cook. It's not like he's, you know, in his rocking chair waiting for a phone call. I mean, this is guy, this guy still 
who can run. I mean, he has no elusiveness and no, you know, yards after contact. So, but he, he can get you, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, as they say. So if he's getting, you know, 14, 15 carries, and we all know that he's the the master of the, you know, one-yard touchdown run. So it's it's not a spot where I'm enthused about playing Jordan Howard. But, you know, you look this week, and they're playing Denver, who looked great last week against the Cowboys. But, you know, they allow 1.48 yards before contact, which is 20th in the league. They allow, they've allowed the third most fantasy points to running backs the last four weeks. And the Eagles' offensive line is, is third against uh, in third in yards before contact with 1.73 yards on average. So this is a pretty favorable matchup for him. I know Denver looked great last week, but... You know, I'm, it's more for non-PPR or even half PPR than PPR because Jordan Howard's not going to catch any passes. And if he doesn't get into the end zone, he's a bust. But, you know, you could say that a lot, about a lot of running backs after the top 18 or so. You know, it's not like everybody's getting 20 carries a week anymore. So, you know, you can do worse than having Jordan Howard as a, you know, flex option this week and just hope he gets into the end zone. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't summarize the Jordan Howard uh, slash Nick Sirianni experience uh, better myself. The Eagles' upcoming matchups, uh, Denver, who are not good against the run, New Orleans, who are good against the run, both the New York teams, or the Giants and Jets, uh, then a bye, uh, and then Washington, the Giants, and then Washington to finish out. Very interesting schedule for the Eagles, by the way. Hey, interesting to read for fantasy, but there you go. The matchup's kind of, kind of a mixed bag there, but there are some – Defenses, you can score those yard touchdowns on, I guess. Um, so, and I would say, I would say the Jets would be chief among those. So, yeah, if yeah. Sanders is still out by the time he plays the Jets, then start Jordan Howard against the Jets because somebody's going to score two touchdowns in that game. Yeah. And uh, you know, keeping on with the, you know, staying on the backfield theme. Uh, how about a backfield that uh, you know really is the furthest thing from a committee right now? So, in that league, the the one league that I lost. Happened to be the one league I started James Conner. James Conner deserves better from, you know, from my fantasy team. Uh, these people, other than Cooper Cup, everybody got to be ashamed of what they did to James Conner after he did that for my team. Kyler Murray out. Uh, Colt McCoy starts uh, for, uh, about to say the D-backs. I'm in such a different zone right now. <laughs> for the Cardinals, um, DeAndre Hopkins out. Of course, James Conner becomes one of the most talented players on that team. Uh, and good for him with what he's doing this year because he is a touchdown machine, and it's kind of crazy what having a role in a good offense can do because uh, he leads the NFL in touchdowns. Uh, he, you know, he tied it the last game. Now he leads the NFL in you know rushing touchdowns by far after that, those three touchdowns, um, or he, he had two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. But you get the point. Uh, is James Conner uh, legitimately? And um, not an RB1, but maybe even top five to ten uh, overall, while um, Chase Edmonds is out. Eno Benjamin does exist, and you can we can maybe more uh, capitalize more on what to do with Eno uh, Benjamin later. But is James Conner really that guy for fantasy, or is Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins coming back going to mean that James Conner is just a good RB2 like he was? Well, first of all, I think I have to offer up a little bit of mea culpa because I was not on Connor at all, like 
for the last six months, I wanted nothing to do with him. And even when he got off to a hot start, scored, started scoring touchdowns, I said, well, you know, Chase Evans is still the guy. But we just continue to see Connor have a, a solid role in that offense, and that is a top, you know, the top one of the top offenses in the league. And he is the goal line back, you know, outside of Kyler Murray. Um, and so, as you mentioned, you know, Murray and Hopkins are coming back, but Connor's not going away and Edmonds is hurt. So I think it's very possible that Connor is, I'd say easily a top 10 back as long as Edmonds is out and probably closer to top five. I mean, he's got the Panthers and the Seahawks as his next two opponents. And, you know, the Seahawks are... 30th in the NFL as far as fantasy points allowed. Carolina's in the top five, but that's a little bit skewed on a per carry basis. They're actually pretty middle of the road. So I think Connor is definitely a top 10 back. I would say, you know, keep an eye out because they do have a week 12 bye. But even after that, you know, week 13 against the Bears, 14 against the Rams, which is a little bit difficult. But then week 15, you know, that's one of your money weeks against the Detroit Lions. And, you know, the matchups don't get much better than that. So if Edmonds is out four to six weeks, this is a team that has playoff aspirations. I don't see them rushing him back. So I would say Connor is easily a top 10 guy for the next, I'd say, four or five weeks. And uh, the the question arises, like, do you uh... – it's it, it, it's weird to say do you buy high, but it's kind of what you would be doing if you were buying into James Conner right now. And the question is, do you like pay a wide receiver one price to get uh, James Conner, assuming that he is an RB one caliber player? And the question is probably situation dependent for your team. But right with Kyler Murray coming back, also I feel like Kyler Murray being able to rush the football at an elite level is not something you should ignore, but he is hurt. And like you said, playoff aspirations, James Conner has had this role all year long. Just because he is the main man doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, take away that role of being in the red zone and making those cuts and finding the end zone because he's good at it. Right. And anything, if anything, I think Kyler Murray's presence will help because, you know, he's a threat in the zone read game. So I think that gives uh, Connor some opportunities to, you know, better exploit opposing defenses. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Connor right now for sure. Yeah. It, it, the, 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 the short of the long would be the, the, the absolute floor has to be what he was doing earlier is if he was doing that in a committee with Kyler healthy and, you know, DeAndre Hopkins much more heavily involved. And that was his. That was that had to be his floor. So his absolute floor is decent RB two. The ceiling is RB one. So you have to hold because RBs so valuable. RB ones way more valuable, um, especially down the stretch with so many injuries going on. Finally, for this section, we'll shift over to some wide receivers, and this is a perfect. Uh, this is a perfect situation to end this seg- uh, segment of the show because last week, Al said. I have a bad feeling about Denver wide receivers. I don't know why. There's Either. something There's something weird that's going to happen that game uh, against Dallas cornerbacks. We've given up a lot of yards, but, you know, Trayvon Diggs is all the hype because of his interceptions. The Dallas defense is better this year, um, you know, on the ground and in the air with Dan Quinn. They caused turnovers. Denver has turned the ball over. Someone who picked Broncos against the spread, um, I'm happy with the way that that game turned out. As someone who has shares of Jerry Judy um, and someone who benched Tim Patrick 
for Tyler Boyd in that one league that I lost by four points, there are decisions I want back. So how are we reading these Denver wide receivers right now? Obviously, this game script of them blowing out good opponents is not sustainable, um, especially in Denver. Um, but with Teddy Bridgewater, at quarterback, Melvin Gordon, also somebody we'll discuss um, in the mix. Javante Williams, is he going to be a thing? And, you know, how, how are we reading this offense right now, specifically the wide receivers? I think it's tricky. And I think I think we have to downgrade Judy and Cortland Sutton. You know, I have a, uh, a buddy of mine who has Sutton on a roster, and he asked if Sutton was going to be hurt by Judy. And initially, I, this was about a week ago, and I said not that much. You know, I'd still put Sutton in that wide receiver three range. But I think there's a couple of different factors at play. Number one is, as you mentioned, Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick is a definite part of that offense. You know, he is not – it's not as if, you know, we have Judy and Sutton and then – you know, a couple of tiers later is Patrick. They're treating Patrick basically in the same vein as they are treating Sutton and Judy. You know, over the last two weeks since Judy's been back, Sutton has run 56 routes. Judy has run 48. Patrick has also run 56. You know, the targets, Judy has 12. Patrick has eight. Sutton has six. So this is a pretty even spread as far as the Denver wide receivers. You know, they use 11 personnel 61% of the time. So... This is an offense that is basically one running back, and they rotate the running backs, obviously. You know, Gordon and uh, Williams, as you mentioned, the only t- Denver's the only team with two running backs with 90-plus carries. And I think that also kind of hurts the trio of wide receivers because you have a team that wants to run the ball a lot. And when they do throw, they're spreading it pretty evenly to the three wide receivers. We haven't even mentioned Noah Fant yet, who should be back in the mix soon. So – you know, as far as where you drafted Judy and even where you may have gotten Sutton after Judy's injury, I think we have to downgrade those guys a little bit and maybe elevate Patrick a little bit more. To me, they're kind of all in that, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four range. I kind of treat them at this point like I would treat the Giants receivers when they're healthy. You know, you kind of have, you know, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, Kenny Galladay, who when they're all healthy, they're kind of in that mix of guys who – you, know, you should probably start, but it's hard to to expect much of them as far as, you know, that big top 10 game or that big 20-point game. I think you're going to kind of have to live with these Denver guys as, you know, in that wide receiver three range. And I put Patrick in there as well. For some more reference on Tim Patrick, so coming into week nine, so this does not include week nine, uh, the highest receiving grades uh, by PFF versus man coverage – Number one, Cooper Cup. Number two, Justin Jefferson. Number three, Tim Patrick. Number four, Jamar Chase and A.J. Brown tied. He's good. <laughs> and yeah. uh, after and through nine weeks, the uh, highest passer rating when targeted in man coverage at 156.3, Tim Patrick. Um, I think we because Cortland Sutton exists, who's obviously very good, Jerry Judy, who's an, an elite prospect, um, like elite footwork, like some of the best footwork I've I've seen. Um, it's kind of crazy that Tim Patrick is just viewed as like that dude who steps up when somebody gets hurt, but he's really good. Um, and it makes sense that when there's a third wide receiver who's really good, the first and second might not be completely taking over the show. Right. And and we haven't mentioned Noah, or you mentioned Noah Fant. He's also athletically very good, and he was starting to break out a little bit 
at the beginning of this season. So if he comes back and is fully healthy, there, there's, it's, there's, there's problems because you can't read um, an offense when there are so many ways it can be split. And the offense can just be unpredictable, right? Teddy Bridgewater can be dotting up receivers deep, which like he does like once every five games. It's so annoying. He's not supposed <laughs> to put on the deep ball. Like, why is this happening? Um, but it happens once every five weeks, um, and it's very hard to read. So I think that's a good transition into buy-sell because one of the names that I had on uh, the list – Melvin Gordon, so over the last four weeks, he scored over 10 uh, PPR fantasy points um, every single week. I feel like he's quietly been one of those guys that people don't realize has been pretty reliable for fantasy if you take out, you know, an anomaly week. Uh, Week one, he goes kind of crazy 101 yards, and people are like, oh, my God, is Melvin Gordon going to be, like, that dude again? Uh, And then week two, he's kind of humbled, but he doesn't have any touchdowns it was also the second least efficient game of the year of course that came against the jags uh and then week three against jets he scores a touchdown uh big fantasy game there weeks four and five not so great um even though week four you know he was still efficient uh and that got him you know somewhere around the lower rb2 range uh, rb3 depending on your league and then last four weeks he's just been a really solid rb2 for you um, just happens to be week six happens to be, uh, when I traded for him. So uh, I'm going to claim I caused this, but, um, <laughs> if you don't believe me, let's discuss. Um, so <laughs> Melvin Gordon, uh, is he a sell high? Um, is, is, is this a kind of streak that you can kind of tell an owner, like, you know, he's so consistent. He scores touchdowns like more often than you think. And even when he doesn't score touchdowns week six and seven, he was producing double digits, and can you sell him at like a good RB two level, especially given, like you said, Jerry Judy's just coming back. Uh, you know, Noah Fant is going to come back at some point, so the offense you can sell to an owner saying the offense is going to get better, more opportunities to score touchdowns. He is converting. Do you sell high like that, or are we sitting on Melvin Gordon and saying, "Nah, he's reliable, and I like that in an RB two. He's going to keep this up, especially you know he gets a bye week afterwards and then faces." some horrible run defenses in the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Lions. Like, that is matchup heaven. So what are we doing with Melvin Gordon? Yeah, and that's what I was going to mention, and that's why I would hold on to him. I think the matchups kind of dictate that I wouldn't want to get rid of a player with that upcoming slate. You know, as far as viability, he's been very consistent, as you said. And even in the passing game, he's had exactly three targets the last four weeks. He's not going to give you – you know, top 10 week, but there is value in that top 20 output. Well, he did give you top 10 last week, but um, there is value in what he brings to the table. And, you know, with the running back position, the way it is, I personally would want as many quantifiable knowns as possible. And I think I'd rather take my chances, you know, knowing what I'm going to get out of Melvin Gordon, which is, you know, 15 touches and 80 yards and hopefully a touchdown, then, you know, scour the wire and looking for trying to dissect the Tennessee Titans backfield, you know, where it's McNichols or Peterson or, you know, a similar situation. I'd rather have, you know, something I'm, I'm kind of confident in. And I say the same thing about Javante Williams. I think Williams and Gordon are very viable, you know, top 20, top 25 running backs every week. You know, there'll be some weeks where, 
one might outscore the other, but they've both been very consistent throughout the last few weeks. Are you worried at all that Melvin Gordon, you know, being the quote unquote veteran, again, we, we, we sometimes forget how old people are like Jordan Howard being less than 50 years old is like, right. but yeah, yeah, he's younger than Melvin Gordon, but Melvin Gordon in this backfield, he is a veteran. Uh, there's a very talented uh, rookie in Javante Williams. He's uh, been extremely good after the contact when he has played, he's been efficient, making cuts. He's elusive. Like, He's really good, um, but Melvin Gordon's, you know, still getting the respect that he deserves. He's converting um, in the red zone. Are you concerned at all that because of uh, the Broncos not being sort of in playoff contention towards the end of the end of the season, which might change? Maybe they win a bunch in a row because they are facing some tough defenses. Maybe they win a bunch in a row. Who knows? But I, I, I likely think they're not going to be in the playoff picture towards the end of the year. Do you think they? pull a, a quick one on us and suddenly give Javante Williams all, uh, you know, a big workload against week 16 and 17, by the way, Las Vegas chargers, neither of which good against the run. And then all of a sudden you're sitting here in the playoffs starting Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams is eating up carries. Is that possible? I suppose anything is possible, but I'm not looking for it. I mean, Denver is five and four. So I agree with you. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're in the hunt. And I think they'll be at least be in the hunt until week 16 or 17. So I think that's more of a week 18 problem. And I don't think we're gonna have to worry about that for fantasy purposes. So I'm not worried about that. Now I love Javante Williams and I would rather have him than Gordon, but I mean, it's, such a small margin as far as 1A versus 1B, and I think they're both viable. So I'm fine with either one. The conclusion, we are both holding on Melvin Gordon thanks to those matchups, despite the buy. Uh, another possible sell high, since we are talking recency, you can't get much more recent than Pat Freermuth. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, for those of you who listen to the Fantasy Football POV by our good friend Michael Govier, I went on his podcast um, and – it's a five-minute segment. You talk about whatever you want. And it was about time the topic I chose was rookies. And I finished up with a name that got uh, Michael Gobier extremely excited about the upcoming weeks. And I said, Pat Freermuth. It's a guy that we both love. Um, my friend who's a Steelers fan, uh, you might be listening to this right now. My friend who's a Steelers fan, as a semi-joke said after the draft, that's the next Heath Miller. Last night, he gets comparisons on the broadcast to Heath Miller. He's looked every bit the part. He's really good. With Juju Smith-Schuster out, um, and with Chase Claypool now dealing with a little bit of an injury, and you know, even before Chase Claypool's injury, Pat Freermuth balling out. Does that mean that we're holding on to Pat Freermuth at a position that is just wild seemingly every single season like tight end where you know outside of the top tier of guys like travis kelsey tj hawkinson even guys like george kittle have been a little uncertain this year so are we holding on to pat freermuth and saying let's just hope he gets a touchdown you know once every other week um and you know he will be very good at the tight end position the tight end one over the last two weeks or are we selling high and getting uh, some help at maybe some other positions or somebody who's desperate at tight end will pay you know a high price for Pat Freermuth, who is a rookie with a quarterback who, as I say, it, is not good. <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit situation dependent. Uh, I consider him 
a streamer. You know, he's a high-end streamer. I'd say he's in that 10 to 15 range. So I don't mind if you want to hold him, depending on your other options. But yeah, I guess it depends on sort of your roster construction in the sense of, you know, we have bye weeks this week and the next couple of weeks. And if you are looking at, you know, a wide receiver four versus Freymouth, I'd rather keep the wide receiver and kind of stream the tight end position. But, I mean, he's been great of late, and he's got some good matchups coming up. He's got the Lions this week. He's got the Chargers the week after, who I believe are, you know, bottom seven or eight in terms of fantasy points allowed. He's got the Bengals and the Ravens coming up. So he's got some matchups that are worth streaming. But, again, I think it kind of depends on the situation. I do agree with you that, you know, the loss of Juju has helped him more than anybody else in that offense. Because, you know, Roethlisberger and his pop gun arm can't throw the ball 30 yards down the field half the time. So he's perfectly content digging and dunking to Deontay and Najee and Friermouth. So, I mean, he's definitely in that 10 to 15 range for me. So it kind of depends on what your other options are as far as the tight end position and, you know, whether you need to hold on to that extra running back or wide receiver. You know, we were talking before about, you know, players like Khalil Herbert and Chuba Hubbard. I think those guys have more upside in the event of injury as far as a week to week. But if you need somebody in the short term and the immediate, you know, next two, three weeks, I'd rather hold on to the tight end in that case. Yeah. And I, I, I'll pretty much agree with every, everything you said there. Um, if it's hard to find tight ends that can put up good weeks two in a row, right? It, there's after the elite tier, um, people started putting Tyler Conklin like in the elite tier. Like that's how desperate people yeah. get at tight end because they see uh, a good week and a half. Like the they'll see a good week and then the next week, the first quarter, he'll be relevant and they'll be like, "That's my tight end rest of the season. I found <laughs> found the breakout." Um, I Pat Freemuth's not scoring one or two touchdowns every single week, but the fact that he a few weeks ago, right before the bye, which is right at, you know, a few days before I said, oh, the breakout's now. Week six against Seattle, did not score a touchdown and was still good at the tight end position. Um, and now on the season overall, the number 15 tight end. So I, I am holding Pat Freermuth unless some team gives me something, like, you know, obnoxiously good, like a wide receiver two or something. Um Najee Harris also involved in that offense. Um, he is kind of a stud. Uh, you know, I have this back and forth about whether the Steelers, you know, should have drafted a running back um, round one or not. If you're going to draft a running back, Najee Harris was the clear option because he's a stud. Um, he is involved in the pass catching game as well. Um, I feel like he could also develop an even greater role if Chase Claypool was out because, like you said, Ben Roethlisberger will happily check down five yards. Um, it is a much higher percentage play than him throwing um, a 30-yard pass to a wide-open receiver. Right. At this point. Um, and Najee Harris uh, about to face um, matchups like the Detroit Lions, who are generationally bad against running backs. Um, and PPR formats, the Bengals have been really good against the run, but they have given up their fair share of receiving work to running back. So that's a sneakily good matchup there against the Bengals, especially because it might be a matchup that is maybe competitive, close, or the Steelers might be playing behind for some amount of it. Um, the Titans, also a matchup that give up a lot of yards to literally any every, any position. Kansas City, you, you I could run on them a little bit. Um, <laughs> so there are matchups that make Najee Harris 
I'm bring up Najee Harris because somebody asked if the, if Najee Harris is going to keep this up, especially because he did have a bad week. To like his NFL debut was bad, so people started panicking and saying he's a bust for fantasy. Uh, well, there's your answer. He's not a bust, but I would uh, absolutely hold on to Najee Harris at his current price. Um, just don't get too cute. Keep him. Moving on to some buy lows on the other end of the spectrum. We already discussed Odell Beckham Jr. Um, to review. Odell Beckham Jr. We don't know the team yet as of the time we are recording this, so we'll get a final answer. We'll keep it short. Odell Beckham Jr. I t- I said a few days ago, hold on to him. Are we buying low if a team does, is scared, if a team that holds a, is is holding him right now is scared about his landing spot? Um, are we get, What are we giving up for Odell Beckham? Or are we simply just, you know, staying away, saying, you know, whatever team he falls in the hands of, let 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 you have the risk. I don't want that risk. I don't mind. I don't mind the risk to be honest with you. I'm holding him. I, I do have him in a league, and I'm going to hold him. Um, as far as what I would be willing to give up to get him, I think you can probably get him pretty cheap because I think there's there's some stigma there. So I think you know, as we discussed before, I think depending on where he lands, he's a, probably a wide receiver three, as opposed to his you know previous you know RB uh, wide receiver two range. So I think he's downgraded a little bit, but I think he's still a fantasy starter, and I'd be looking to get him if possible. Yeah, I'll agree. I'm holding him in, in our Fantrax League. Uh, me having like 25 wide receivers helps a little <laughs> bit. Uh, it helps a little bit. If you need immediate wins, obviously switch up the situation. Like if Odell Beckham, if you're relying on Odell Beckham Jr. to be your wide receiver one and get you a win immediately, maybe 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 don't. Maybe you know. Um, don't hold on to him. Don't drop him. Trade him. Uh, get something in return. But other than that, in any normal situation, um, if you if you you can wait around a couple of weeks for a guy to have a wide receiver two ceiling, I, I would expect Odell to be that guy who can have that ceiling. Especially, like you said, if he's on the Packers and getting targets. Speaking, yeah, of I mean, that, I, I, yeah. in the league I have him in. Sorry to cut you off. In the league I have him in, um, I had to pick up a wide receiver on Sunday afternoon because I had DeAndre Hopkins miss the game and I kept Odell Beckham and I dropped Evan Ingram because I figured, you know, I wasn't starting Ingram on Sunday and they have a bye next week, but I wanted to keep Beckham because I think the upside is there for him to be relevant going down the stretch. Yeah. Speaking of the Packers, the last name on this list, some of uh, my listeners are in my home league in our home league as of a couple of hours ago, big blockbuster trade where A.J. Dillon was traded straight up for Brian Edwards. Obviously, you know, this is a little intriguing to me. Some people are split on this, as it seems to be for every single trade. Um, I think that's a super interesting trade, you know, upside a little bit on both sides. Um, But the the question we have here is, A.J. Dillon, are we buying low while he's still, you know, the backup to Aaron Jones? There are some signs. Nick, you will point them out what these signs are to buy low on A.J. Dillon, as it seems, you know, one of the owners in my league has. And uh, might as well get your instant reaction on this. Brian Edwards for A.J. Dillon, is that the correct price? Well, I do like Brian Edwards, but I'm on the A.J. Dillon side of this trade, especially now that Deshaun Jackson is in Las Vegas. I'm a little bit worried about Edwards going forward. Uh, I do like him, you know, as a long-term prospect. But as far as this trade goes, I'm on Team Dillon, you know, they he hasn't had the breakout performance yet you know we talk about 
you know, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. This is kind of how I see the Packers backfield a little bit. You know, Dylan has had at least 11 opportunities and at least 59 scrimmage yards in five out of six weeks. Now, that's not going to necessarily move the needle because he's only scored one touchdown in that span. But if he starts getting some goal line and red zone looks, he's going to put up, you know, 12 to 15 fantasy points. And that puts him in the top 20, 25 range. He's not getting there on a weekly basis because he's not finding the end zone. But we want to chase the volume. And, you know, it's funny. We talked about Odell before. I think if Green Bay were to sign Odell, I think Dylan and Aaron Jones would probably be hurt more than anybody else in that offense because they are so involved. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, if all things are equal and things remain as they are now, I think Dylan has a lot of upside going forward the next few weeks. Get AJ Dylan and those thighs on his uh, on your fantasy football <laughs> team. I made that sound uh, weird for no reason. Speaking of weird, we've got an interesting fantasy football waiver wire uh, look this week. Uh, you know, there's work on waiver wire that people are doing at Fantrax. Um, you can view Mick's work on Fantrax in the link in the description below my work as well. But go go read these Fantrax uh, waiver wire um, updates for full. Uh, analysis on where you should be spending, uh, where you should be uh, prioritizing your waiver wire. There are fab articles that Michael Govier, who I mentioned earlier, um, writes as well on how to spend fab um, when the waiver wire hits. But the quick rundown here, Mick, who are the top names you are looking at? Um, maybe somebody, uh, h- how are we prioritizing specifically running backs? Dearness Johnson, for those of you who haven't heard, uh, Dearness Johnson will likely be the uh, the 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 go-to guy for the Browns against the Patriots this week. We have three positive COVID or four positive COVID tests from the Browns. Three which coming out of the backfield, uh, which forced the Browns to um, sign Brian Hill. Um, and I say forced in the nicest way possible. I have owned this man in fantasy football before. It is not a fun experience to watch him play football. Uh, so you can you can already you can already uh, guess that. I'm not really uh, expecting a huge Brian Hill game. I, I, if there's anybody having a huge game, it's it's going to be Dearness Johnson. Uh, Mick, do you agree that Dearness Johnson is should be one of your top waiver wire uh, targets? And who else do you have in running back? I do, and I, I think it's a little bit dependent on how desperate you are for a win this week as opposed to more of a long-term view. So I think if you need this week, then Dearness Johnson is your guy. As you mentioned, basically Cleveland has no other running backs left. Um, This is a situation where we saw what he did in his first start against Denver. He's going to have a decent matchup, you know, against the the Patriots. Um, They've allowed the fourth most receptions to running backs. So even if they, and they've been better on the ground as of late. So, but I think the volume is going to be there where he might get 20 touches in this game. You know, especially with everything else going on in Cleveland. So I think the the workload is going to be better than the matchup. So it's more of a volume-based play. But, you know, it's a situation where he can go back to being more or less irrelevant, you know, after this week. So it kind of depends on what you need from this week. I think, you know, before the news came out of Cleveland, I think my my priority would have been Devontae Freeman. And I do think he's more of the long-term guy. Um, you know, it's crazy to think that half these guys we're talking about, you know, Jordan Howard and Devontae Freeman, 
you know, these Adrian Peters and these guys weren't in the league two months ago. But Devontae Freeman has actually been really good. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry. Um, his pro football focus rushing grade, I believe, is 10th in the NFL. Um, you know, he's he's getting it done. And his upcoming matchups are, you know, not scary. The, the, he's facing the Dolphins this week. Dolphins are 18th against the run, but they're playing on a short week. You know, I uh, mentioned it earlier, um, but Miami, um, their defensive line, I, I, could, I haven't watched the game from last week yet, so I just want to kind of see how this plays out. But they've been playing um, Raquan Davis a lot more than uh, the likes of Adam Butler, which is interesting to me because Davis has been really bad this season against the run. So I kind of want to see how that shakes out as far as their interior. But as far as the matchup itself goes, I'm not scared of it. You know, he's been, like I said, averaging 5.7 yards a carry. Baltimore runs the ball more than anybody else. So I would say if you are looking for more of a rest of season play, it would be Devontae Freeman. But if it was a one-week stopgap kind of fill-in for a buy, that sort of situation, I'd probably go with Johnson. And at the wide receiver position, I know you have a name here that I – you have a couple names here that I've been big on throughout the season. And I'll, I'll start with my boy Rashad Bateman. I picked him up um, – or I, I drafted him in one league um, and held on to him using my one IR spot on him the entire time because I thought when he was – when he's coming off that IR, he's going to be immediately involved. It took kind of like a week and a half-ish for him to get uh, noticeably involved, but it did happen uh, and immediately – now. 20 targets in three games. Um, what else are you seeing from Rashad Bateman? And are you are you seriously considering starting Rashad Bateman in, dare I say, in some weeks at the wide receiver two position like I am? Or is this more of like a deep flex play? You need to own him, uh, but realize that there is a legitimate floor. I think it could be somewhere in the middle. I would say probably not a wide receiver two, but I'm certainly fine with him as wide receiver three in certain matchups. And I think this is going to be a good matchup as well. You know, the Dolphins cornerbacks, uh, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones have not played very well this season. So I think this is a situation uh, where, you know, Bateman's been their third, their third down receiver. You know, Lamar Jackson trusts him on third downs, which I think is very important and very, you know, telling for a, a rookie. So I think he's got a very solid role. And what I like about, you know, this situation is there aren't too many mouths to feed in the Ravens passing game. It's basically Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews, and Rashad Bateman. So now I will say that I do believe Sammy Watkins is going to be back on Thursday. But, you know, that's something I want to see it to believe it. And I don't trust Sammy Watkins to to put too much of a damper on the Rashad Bateman love. So, you know, I like Bateman a lot going forward. And, yeah, I mean, I like the matchup against the, the Dolphins, and I like him going forward as well. Uh, finish, uh, finishing up, I'll, I'll echo, um, you know, I, I know the name you're going to mention next is Van Jefferson. I will echo the this whole concept of the Deshaun Jackson uh, move um, away from the Rams. And I will kill two birds with one stone. I'll repeat that Deshaun Jackson should be owned and maybe maybe should be your last priority if running back is a thing you are concerned about, which you should be. Um, Deshaun Jackson should be owned um, now that he's on the Raiders with a quarterback that will throw it up there deep. Um, but Van Jefferson, what does that mean now that Van Jefferson uh, is out? 
um, or now that Deshaun Jackson is out of LA, uh, Van Jefferson is even more um, of somebody that should be uh, rostered. Um, even with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods having good games, Van Jefferson has still been relevant. Um, what else from Van Jefferson are you seeing? Is Van Jefferson uh, maybe the top or wide receiver waiver tar- uh, waiver wire target this week? And do you expect him to be consistent even when Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are having good games? I think I would prefer Bateman by a hair over Jefferson. There are a couple of reasons. I think Bateman has a bigger role in the sense that he's the third option in the passing game, whereas I think Jefferson kind of flip-flops between third and fourth in that offense. Now, the Rams have an explosive pass off- offense, so I, I think the upside is there. But I'd also be a little bit wary. I mean, they have a bye week in week 11, so it depends on your kind of your roster construction and, and what your needs are. But I think I would prefer Bateman over Jefferson as a waiver wire pickup. Having said that, I do like Jefferson a lot. Um, I think he's going to be more consistent than Deshaun Jackson was. You know, Deshaun Jackson is basically home run or bust, whereas I think Jefferson – has some has a higher floor. I mean, he's been targeted 20 times in the last three weeks, has 10 receptions, and Matthew Stafford has a uh, passing rating over 100 when targeting Jefferson. So I think he is a solid, you know, in that I'd say low wide receiver three, higher wide receiver four flex area. Um, but I do like Bateman a little bit as far as the waiver wire pickup for this week. And I'll let you uh, name the last wide receiver on uh, the list we have here. I'll let you have the honor of, you know, he's my boy too, but you can have ownership of the New York Jet, uh, Elijah Moore. Um, I had I, I drafted him in one league. I was disappointed that he was essentially completely irrelevant. Then he got concussed. Uh, so a lot of uh, issues we had to deal with there. And then right as soon as I was about to pick him back up, I get the punishment. I dropped him. I, 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 got, I deserve it. Uh, somebody else scooped him up, and he goes berserk on Thursday night football. Is Elijah Moore for real? And with Corey Davis coming back, is he still worth um, rostering and maybe starting as wide receiver three area? Well, I think I think you mentioned the big key uh, being Corey Davis. So I think I think you should you should roster Elijah Moore. Um, as far as starting them though, I would not get too carried away. And I, I think you know going back to Davis, I think there's a little bit of a dynamic that I as a Jets fan probably paid more attention to than some people but in the preseason you know with Corey Davis had a couple of nice games with Zach Wilson and all of a sudden everybody you know wanted to jump on Corey Davis as you know not not that his ADP went through the roof but I'd say he was probably a top 50 wide receiver and now all of a sudden he was a top you know 35-ish wide receiver because they saw the connection that he and Zach Wilson had. Um, not taking into account that Elijah Moore was not playing during the offseason because he had an injury. So now fast forward three months later, and we're kind of seeing the reverse. You know, we've seen Elijah Moore have a couple of good games in a row, and now everybody wants to jump on Elijah Moore, and it's like, well, wait a minute, Corey Davis hasn't played the last couple of weeks. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, natural balance that's going to need to happen there. And, you know, as we mentioned before, the quarterback situation is in a total state of flux at the moment. So... I do think you should add Elijah Moore, but I would not be in a rush to start him as long as Corey Davis is in the lineup, which he is expected to be in the lineup. Now, having said that, the Jets are bad, and 
They're playing Buffalo this week, and they're probably going to be losing by three touchdowns for most of the second half. So can Elijah Moore, you know, get six, seven catches and a touchdown in garbage time? Sure, he can. But, you know, the matchup against the corners, you know, with Tredavious White and everybody else, it's not it's not an ideal matchup. And I think we need to temper expectations a little bit based on what he's done the last two weeks. Make last names on the waiver wire list. Um, we mentioned Dearness Johnson already. Um, I will throw out the name uh, Devontae Freeman. Um, he, the, the the Ravens' backfield has always been a situation I generally want to stay away from, um, especially since the most talented runner in their backfield is Lamar Jackson. Um, but uh, I was extremely happy to see uh, Le'Veon Bell stealing some action. Um, I was facing somebody who started uh, Devontae Freeman, Marquise Brown, and Mark Andrews against me. Um, and I was happy watching that Ravens game, seeing Le'Veon Bell get a touchdown. So it made me smile a little bit. Yeah, uh, but, but Devontae Freeman did uh, end up with a touchdown. Uh, is Devontae Freeman uh, worth regular starts? Um, or we were, I think we all agree we have to pick up Devontae Freeman. I mean, he's on a good offense. He has to be rostered um, as one of the primary backs there. He is still capable of playing some football, maybe more capable. We've been trash on Jordan Howard a lot, but he, he's, <laughs> he's better than Jordan Howard, and he's on a good offense, so he has to be rostered. Um, but what's the read rest of the season? Do you think the Ravens' backfield is going to be in a limbo the whole season, and you kind of just have to guess who's going to get the workload? To some extent, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on the, the status of Latavius Murray because I think he's probably the biggest threat to Freeman. But, you know, I think in the short term, at least, I'm fine with playing Freeman as a flex at the very least. You know, he's got Miami and Chicago coming up. Neither of those matchups scare me. After that, it gets a little bit dicier with two games against Cleveland and a game against Pittsburgh. And like I said, Murray could be coming back. So, you know, as far as for the next six weeks, might not be the best option. But for the next two or three, I think he's fine. And again, you know, it kind of depends on your situation. You know, I mentioned before, but I'd rather have Jordan Howard this week than, or Dernis Johnson this week than some players. But I think if you're looking at the next two, three weeks, then I think Devontae Freeman's probably your best bet. Last name on the waiver wire list, uh, Eno Benjamin. We mentioned James Conner. We can't uh, say enough good things about uh, what James Conner can do. I am personally placing – I. I hope my league mates aren't watching this because they will <laughs> clearly just move their waiver order just because I said this. Um, there are There's a league where I have placed a waiver claim on Eno Benjamin because it is my responsibility to make sure he is rostered, um, given that he is the running back two on a good offense. Um, but I have placed a defense over Eno Benjamin in that uh, league where I am claiming him. That is how little I think Eno Benjamin will play a role the next few weeks. Am I right, or is Eno Benjamin someone that could potentially explode and be like a flexish position, given that when Connor and Edmonds were there, they were kind of in a committee? So I think it's a little bit in the middle. I kind of think, I kind of equate it to what we, the situation we discussed earlier with Herbert and Hubbard. I think he should be rostered for sure. I do think he's going to get a little more work than you think. So 
you know, I mentioned before about Arizona kind of playing for, for January and February. We know that James Conner is not the sturdiest back as far as, you know, getting 20, 25 touches per week over an extended period of time. So I don't think they're going to want to put too much on him. Now, again, based on what we've seen with the efficiency, I think what Connor can do with 18 touches is enough to be top 10 viable. But I don't think we're going to see, you know, 22, 25 touches. So the combination of Connor and Edmonds have had 231 opportunities to this point in the season, which basically comes out to about 26 per game. And they've almost averaged exactly one fantasy point per opportunity. But if you have 26 opportunities, it's been pretty split in the middle as far as Connor and Edmonds. And obviously, Connor's going to get the lion's share of those 26. But again, I see it more of a you know two to one ratio, so maybe 17 to nine, 18 to eight kind of thing. So I do think Benjamin is going to have a little bit of a flex appeal in deeper formats. And I mean, come on, we just saw him get the uh, the scepter for winning angry run of the week. So you got to give him some love. Heading into week 10, we prepared you on the waiver wire. Uh, we've recapped all these uh, weird backfields um, from week <laughs> nine. We even mentioned uh, some wide receivers and of course, Pat Freermuth. Now week 10, we only get one shot. Um, I'm, I'm going to restrict it to, one big storyline you're looking for week 10. Uh, give me your best either player or game that you're looking forward to from the fantasy football perspective. Uh, week 10, maybe make a call. So I think the most interesting game for me is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against the Las Vegas Raiders on a couple of different fronts. So we've seen the Chiefs offense struggle for a few weeks now. And, you know, everybody's kind of wondering if this is a sign of things to come and how to value them going forward, you know, especially when it comes to Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. I think this week, I mean, you can make the case for benching Patrick Mahomes this week, which sounds crazy, but, you know, Las Vegas is number one in the league in terms of pass rush. Um, they have a combination of cornerbacks in Casey Hayward and Nate Hobbs, who are top six in pro football fo focuses coverage grades. Now, having said that, I think Tyreek Hill is going to get enough targets and enough receptions where he could produce, you know, relative to a starter's workload. But, you know, he finishes the wide receiver 50, I believe it was, in PPR leagues last week. And, you know, if he doesn't get in the end zone, I can see something kind of similar this week. So I think I would start Hill. But, I mean, as far as ranking him in the top five or even the top ten, I, I just don't see it in this matchup. And same thing for Mahomes. I think Mahomes can easily finish outside of the top ten or twelve the way he's been playing and the way defenses have kind of geared themselves towards Kansas City's offense. Now, on the flip side, I do think this is going to be more of a – uh, Travis Kelsey game, the Raiders are allowing the third most fantasy points to tight ends. And again, the, you know, with the way they're playing these defenses are playing the shell coverage against the Chiefs, I think it's going to be, you know, limit the big passes, keep everything in front. So I think Hill and Kelsey are, are both going to catch a bunch of short passes, but I don't think it's going to lead to a ton of fantasy production. I would still start Kelsey and I'd probably start Hill, but, you know, if, if you wanted to tell me you were benching Hill this week or Mahomes this week, I, I probably wouldn't talk you out of it. Um, and on the other side, you know, what I think is interesting, I guess we'll kind of see how the, the wide receivers 
shape up, you know, with the Deshaun Jackson in the fold. But I'm kind of intrigued by playing Kenyon Drake um, as a as a possible flex in this game. You know, Kansas City is bottom 12 in the league as far as yards per carry and opposing and uh, receptions allowed to opposing running backs. So I think Josh Jacobs, you know, he survived a little bit of an injury scare, but I think Kenyon Drake has enough of a role in the sense of, you know, we mentioned, you know, the wide receiver situation, but, you know, Carr looked for Drake a lot last week. Drake had six catches for 70 yards. He's got five games with 30 receiving yards, which doesn't sound like a ton unless you consider that that's also the same number that Allen Robinson has. So, you know, Drake is definitely a part of this offense and, you know, it kind of depends on on how this game goes, you know, as far as if Vegas can can keep the Chiefs offense at bay. But, you know, I think I think I can get behind Drake as a flex. And again, you know, I can I can make the argument for benching Mahomes and Hill. I probably would not bench Kelsey, but you know, these are things I would never have put myself saying a month ago, but here we are. It's actually kind of interesting you bring that up. I received a message if you're watching this, you know you are. I received a message uh, a few hours ago from uh, uh, somebody looking for lineup help, and their quarterback situation was Mahomes or Derek Carr. And the legitimate question was, like, am I starting Derek Carr? Like, a few yeah. weeks ago, this would have been like, this is obvious I'm starting Mahomes. <laughs> right. And now it's, this is obvious I'm starting Derek Carr, right? <laughs> like, it yeah. seems that way, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the turns have tabled. Um, and and uh, I, I personally couldn't digest it. The advice I gave, if you are considering benching Mahomes, the advice I gave was I'm, I'm still starting Mahomes. Um, the floor to me is just ridiculous. I Only one game this season, he scored below 10. And you can argue at, at least four of those games he was terrible. Um, so I, I think the floor is just too high. The, the probability that Derek Carr goes completely missing is um, – in you know both on the field and in fantasy production like just the process of watching him produce an ugly game is much higher than the chance of mahomes producing an ugly game and then also producing an ugly fantasy performance so i personally couldn't digest it but that but i respect that take i mean the thing about it is i I think it's kind of a, a mental thing too because you know if i had mahomes and i benched him and he threw for 350 with three touchdowns i would be sick so you know, I can't argue against starting him, but you know, like like your situation, you know, if the guy wants to start Carr over Mahomes, I probably wouldn't talk him out of it. I mean, I personally would probably start Mahomes, but like I I get where he's coming from as far as, you know, that Chiefs offense has just not been the same the last few weeks. Speaking of quarterbacks, I'll mention one one matchup um, that should should be not just intriguing from the star perspective. But I feel like there's going to be a big performance from each side, names that we aren't thinking of right now. That Seahawks, Packers, there's two quarterbacks that didn't play in week nine for very different reasons. Uh, we we won't go, go necessarily into the timetable for, for Aaron Rodgers to return. If he does return, which I personally think he's going to find a way to return. The Seahawks have Russell Wilson back for the first time in several weeks. The Packers have Aaron Rodgers back uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks. Devontae Adams uh, is going to be a top five wide receiver uh, if that happens. Uh, The Seahawks better this year than they were last year against wide receivers fantasy uh, point-wise, but there are very few matchups in this world um, that can contain Devontae Adams. The Seahawks aren't 
aren't close to one of them. Uh, Devontae Adams has a huge game, but I feel like this is either a toss-up between uh, – I was going to say Mercedes Lewis because I'm still on this whole bar- <laughs> thing. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard has been getting the red zone work, but MVS has gotten big plays this season. He's coming back. I feel like this could be an MVS game, but if you had to start one of MVS or Alan Lazard, if you're somehow in that situation, the floor for Alan Lazard is too justifiable, um, and he found a way to the end zone even without Aaron Rodgers last year. The touchdown potential is more for Alan Lazard, but I feel like one of them is going to have a big game, and I just don't know which, and we'll have to find out during the week if Aaron Rodgers is coming back. On the other side, the Seahawks, First off, DK Metcalf has been one of the best receivers um, in terms of getting open. Uh, PFF grade, all that stuff with Geno Smith at quarterback. Against man coverage, he's been one of the most dominant receivers. I want people to start respecting DK Metcalf, so I'll mention that. Um, But now that he has Russell Wilson back, that connection, whether or not Odell is on the team, and even if he is, he's probably not going to start. He might start. But even if he does start, DK Metcalf is going to put up a top five fantasy wide receiver game i'm making the call right now um and freddie swain i mentioned him earlier how he's getting more red zone work than tyler lockett in multiple weeks uh freddie swain um i'm I'm making the call right now he's scoring a touchdown i feel like this is going to be a high scoring game with aaron Rodgers coming back Uh, a lot of fantasy potential for these kind of deep sleepers um with the packers being very bad against the explosive pass play um they have to game plan differently against Tyler Lockett because whatever they're doing so far has not worked. I feel like they do make the adjustment because they have been getting better defensively. They've been trending upwards over the last few weeks. I feel like that trend upwards continues, uh, and Tyler Lockett gets quote unquote shut down. He might he's, he'll still catch the you know middle of the field kind of passes, but he won't be putting out those twenty point fan a twenty point fantasy game in response with people maybe double-teaming DK Metcalf or whatnot because there's no matchup against him the Packers have. I feel like Freddie Swain is going to be the sleeper on the on the Seahawks. Uh, so potential there for a lot of high-powered offense, and I'm looking forward to both quarterbacks playing, hopefully. Nick, it, is, it, was, like it. it has been my pleasure to have you on the show finally. Um, <laughs> Uh, to do the week nine recap you stayed longer than we were expecting when we had so much fun talking about these fancy situations appreciate you for being on the show uh for viewers uh or not viewers listeners um or may- maybe you're viewing in twitch right now but uh <laughs> mix uh mix links will be in the description of the podcast that is being uploaded uh wednesday morning uh we uh appreciate you for joining us on twitch and mick appreciate you as always Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun and yeah, hopefully we do it again soon.